over to Serena. So, Father, thank you for this opportunity this morning. Thank you for the ministry of Steiger International and for Steiger Minneapolis and all that's been happening here. Thank you for Serena. Thank you for the, the passion that you've put in her for you, uh, for the ministry, for your family, for those that have yet to meet you and, and um, just the, the incredible passion that she brings to this. God, we're excited to have her here and I just ask that you would prepare us now as she speaks and um, just say to us what needs to be said this morning through her. Bless this time. Uh, we give it to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Right. Amen. Wow. Uh, I just want to say a big thank you to Pastor Paul. Also, um, some beautiful family of mine here in the house too, Kim and Mark, and also Polly and Dale. We have gotten to know each other really, really well, and it's just been a joy and an honor and a privilege to uh, really consider myself part of the Chapel Hill family. You know, I love all y'all, and it's just so cool. Um, as you can see, I never go thirsty, <laughs> so I bring my water with me everywhere I go. It's just how I roll, and it's good. It keeps me healthy. Um, in, the, in the vein of that, I really just want to take a moment to recognize uh, the Peterson family. I had an opportunity to shake Kurt's hand this morning. Um, I think we had met before. And then Roz, I know their daughter's also here. And I just want to take a moment because the Bible is very specific and clear on how we weep with those who weep, you know, mourn with those who mourn. And so if we can just take a moment and bow our heads and just pray over their family, that would be wonderful. God, we just, we come before you right now, Lord. We, we never understand uh, the timeline that you give here for us on earth, some of it's, it's longer, some of it's, it's shorter. We, we, don't, we don't understand that, and we don't want to try to understand that. But what we want to do right now is we want to just be with, be with Kurt, be with uh, Roz right now, Father God, as they mourn the loss of Joyce here. She's, she's no longer here on this earth, and she's with you, which is wonderful. She's rejoicing with you, with King Jesus, with the Father. But her family here dearly misses her. We all miss her, and we all just want to wrap our hearts around them, wrap our prayers around them, our love around them. God, would you just give them peace that surpasses all of their understanding as your word promises that guards their hearts and their minds in your son, Christ Jesus. And God, would you just be with all the family as they come to town here? God, just give them a wonderful time as they remember all the beautiful things. I, I never met Joyce, but I can already tell what a wonderful woman she was and how much of an impact that she made, not only the lives of her family, but the lives of the community here at Chapel Hill and beyond. So... We just want to bring their family before you right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Yeah, it's so important for us to do that, you know, and especially like for me, like when I come into a house and I find out something like that has happened, I don't ever want to just not give any attention to that because we're family, right? You know, and I'm not anybody special. I'm just on assignment from God. And I have a wonderful honor to be with all of you this morning. And I'm just like, let's go, Jesus, you know. And I ask um, my Steiger family to pray for me this morning. Specifically, this prayer comes from Ephesians chapter 6, verse 19. And it says, pray for me that the truth would go before me and that God would speak through me. Not my own words. I'm contextualizing it, but that's the whole point is because I don't want to just come up here and bring a, a, a word that I think is in good time or good season. I really prayed into this moment to have with all of you because I'm going to stand an account for every word that I speak, and I also want to speak a word that's going to grab a hold of your hearts and spur you on towards running that race that God has set before you, only you. All of us individually in this room have been given specific assignment and task from God to do so that this world can come to know who he is. 
So as I start this morning, I really want to be able to share with you guys the three most important people in my life, and that is my family. And I believe they're going to come up here on the screen. Yes, that's my beautiful family. That's my husband, Dave. We'll be celebrating 20 years of marriage this July. And yeah, come on. That's de- For all of you that have been married for quite some time, whether that's 5, 10, 15, you all know it's by the grace of God. He is so faithful. Yes, and we have the privilege and the honor now of stewarding these two lives that you see here on the screen. The oldest one that is sitting, let's see, it would be to my, well, to all of y'all's right. Yeah, I have to say on the screen back there, I can see that too. It's to the right. That is Gabrielle, and she is graduating from high school. So Pastor Paul and I were talking about that this morning too. She's graduating this week. Um, Just a brilliant young lady pursuing science. She wants to be able to study how the mind works. So she's going to go into the College of Biological Sciences. And something that's really special for my husband and I and our family this week that's coming to town, she's been selected to give the commencement address at her graduation. So it's beautiful. Very thankful for that. She worked really hard for it. So, yeah, thank you. Yeah, all for Jesus. And then the other beautiful young lady that's sitting between my husband and I, her name is Evangeline. And she has a miracle story, actually all of us. I shared this last time too as well, but I'll be brief. I had a disease called preeclampsia toxemia, which then treats pregnancy as it's attacking your body. And what can end up happening is that your internal organs begin to shut down and your body just kind of goes out of control. Because of that happening with both of my pregnancies, but even more severe with my second one, Evangeline had to be born at 23 weeks and two days. And she weighed 12.4 ounces when she was born. The doctors gave her less than a 20% chance to live but God, right? Because when he makes a promise to us, he's going to keep it. I'm fully convinced the only way that God's promises in our life will not come to pass is if we quit. So we cannot quit because there are people that are depending on us to be able to walk through what we go through, even though it's difficult, even though it might be challenging, so that it can become a testimony that helps spur them on and draws them closer. Because God says if we lift him up, he draws all men unto him. So that's my family. And then as you heard, I am a missionary with Steiger International. I absolutely love it. I'm in my fourth year now. And things have really um, molded and they have grown and progressed over my time with Steiger. When I first began, I stepped into the role as Steiger Minneapolis City team leader. And then after a while, it became very clear, not only to myself, but also to my leadership, like, well, we know Serena's got more inside of her because I've always felt that spur towards Acts 1-8, which I'll talk about in a little bit. And it talks about your Jerusalem, your Judea, Samaria, and your ends of the earth. Minneapolis is absolutely my Jerusalem. My Judea and Samaria is North America, and my ends of the earth is Africa. And so I've had the opportunity to go there multiple times. I'll show just a progression of those pictures. So the first one you see here, that's me and some of the Minneapolis Tiger team. And you could probably look in the back and recognize a couple in the very back of that picture there. That is Dale and Polly, and they are wonderful and have come for outreach. And y'all, if you don't know them yet, you need to get to know those two. They are fantastic people. Just love Jesus and just really encourage anybody who they're around. So that is an opportunity we had. We went out for Cinco de Mayo that evening into the streets of Dinkytown and just boldly shared the love of Jesus. And we had saw God move in such powerful ways when we were out there. Clear gospel conversations with people. Many people we were allowed to pray for. And we got to see several people come to know Jesus that night. I believe that, that we got to see, I think, six people come to know Jesus that night. Uh, and it was just powerful. 
And then the next one is a conference. I don't have a closer up picture, but, but you can see that there was quite a, a group of young people in there. I spoke at a conference down in Dallas for a Bible college and really brought just encouragement to those students too because they're our future, right? So we want to pour into them so they can understand how God has wired them to be his hands and feet. So that was in Dallas. And then moving on to my time that I was just recently in South Africa and also in Togo, that's a crew that I'm with there in Cape town and just an exciting group of people we did training for four days we went for outreach for several of those days and we got to see God just move powerfully and then this is Cape Town or sorry not Cape Town this is Pretoria see we get that moving there there we are okay that's a group also in Pretoria that we were with and the cool thing about this trip we went to South Africa that was our first official action in Africa, which is something I have been praying for since I've come to Steiger. I knew that God wanted our presence to be there. So to see it come to pass now after three years has been absolutely amazing. And when we go and do these things, we take teams that are comprised from people from all over the world. So we had seven people on this team, and we had one from the Netherlands. We had one from Serbia. We had one from Romania. We had one from Ukraine. We had one from Colombia from Argentina, and then me from the U.S. And it was powerful to watch how God molded the seven of us together that had never done ministry like that before. And you would have thought that we had been doing ministry for years together, but that's how the Holy Spirit puts our hearts together and, and knits us together to do his will. And then the last picture that we'll show there before we jump into our message time this morning was my time in Togo. This was a group of young men that I had the opportunity to meet last October when I was in Togo. And then I went back in April and a young lady from our Steiger Marseille France team who was originally from Togo that hadn't been back home for 16 years came and joined me there. And we went for outreach. And when you go to Togo, you just have to prepare yourself to sweat. It is so hot there, but it is so wonderful. Even in the middle of the night, it's like 90 degrees when you go out because it sits right on the equator. And we had the most incredible time. We got to see just the Holy Spirit show up. And in that whole time of being in Africa, we had over 500 clear gospel conversations. We prayed for over 400 of those people throughout South Africa and Togo, and we got to see over 40 people come to know Jesus. And that is simply just because we said yes. And so this morning, what I want to bring is an encouragement specifically about courage and faith. And the subtitle of this is going to be called Ready, Set, Go. Do I have any track and field runners in the house, people that were runners? few people. Hey, I got some young ones over here, some in the back. Awesome. Cool. I was a track and field runner all throughout pretty much my entire life. I started competing when I was five and went all the way through high school. And now I have my daughters are competing in it and having a lot of fun too. There's something that happened every time I would get in my blocks. Every time I would be in the lane ready to go, it was like this adrenaline and this fire came inside of me. And it was just like, as soon as you heard the runners take your marks, you know, get set. And then that gun would go off. It would just be like all the world around me would just dissipate. And I would focus clearly on my goal of beating the clock because it wasn't about me competing against other people. It was about me bettering myself. 
right? And so today, as we talk about courage and faith, the understanding that we are not out here to compete against anyone else. We're out here to be everything that God has called us to be. So whenever he gives us an assignment, he says, are you ready? We say yes. And when he says set, yes, go. We just go and we just follow through with that. So the base scriptures that we're going to use today for ready, set, go are Acts 1.8. And we're going to take a moment to read that one from the voice version. And it says, But when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you will receive power to testify about me with great effect to the people in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That's ready. Can we all say ready together? Ready. All right. And then set. Set is, comes from Joshua chapter 1, verse 9. And it says, This is my command. Be strong and courageous. Never be afraid or discouraged because I am your God, the eternal one, and I will remain with you wherever you go. Everybody say set. Set. All right. And then go comes from Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, which we know as the Great Commission. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Help the people to learn of me, believe in me, and obey my words, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Let's take a look at this clip from a movie called 1917. Best of luck. Thank you, sir. Corporal, if you do manage to get to Colonel McKenzie, make sure there are witnesses. They are direct orders, sir. I know. But some men just want the fight. Thank you, sir. So that is actually based on a true story from 1917 in which there was an attempt to stop a British battalion of over 1,600 men walking into a German trap. And this particular uh, excerpt from it, you see the corporal giving a command to the soldier and he says to him, make sure when you get to the front and you give this paper to the commander of that battalion that there are witnesses there. And then you notice he said, but this is a direct command from you. And he says, yeah, I know people just want to fight, you know. And one of the things that I know that can be a really big struggle for us as followers of Jesus is sometimes we are so passionate about the things of God that we just want to jump right into the fight before we're actually prepared because God has called us to help people, not to convince them, not to try to make them believe anything, but to help them. That's why there was a breakdown in that last scripture from uh, Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, where it says, help them believe, help them obey, and then help them, help them believe, help them learn, and then help them obey. That's what God has called us to do. So we have to take the time to ready ourselves before we go deep in our intimate relationship with Jesus and set ourselves by meditating on the word of God and then go by our sensitivity to the prompting and the leading of the Holy Spirit to obey the Great Commission and also to fight the fight of faith and carry it out correctly as God has called us to. Because faith is not just hearing something, but faith is the obedience to act on that something as though you know it's true. James chapter 1 verses 22 through 25 in the voice version says this, Put the word into action. If you think hearing is what matters most, 
you are going to find that you have been deceived. If some fail to do what God requires, it's as if they forget the word as soon as they hear it. One minute they look in the mirror and the next they forget who they are and what they look like. However, it is possible to open your eyes and take in the beautiful perfect truth found in God's law of liberty and live by it. If you pursue that path and actually do what God has commanded, then you will avoid the many distractions that lead to an amnesia of all true things and you will be blessed. So we, brothers and sisters, have got to ready ourselves and be ready for when the time comes. And if there was such a time that we need to do that, the time is now. Because the world around us, we see it, is not getting any easier. As a matter of fact, it's getting darker, which means that we're called to shine our light even brighter. Webster gives a de definition for the word ready, and it says prepare someone or something for an activity or a purpose. In particular, we can talk about a soldier's camp. Just like in the clip we watched from 1917, a soldier's camp is meant for soldiers to go in to train themselves up, to become very good camaraderie and familiar with the soldiers that are around them so they can know how to protect one another and build good unity. And then the other part is so they can learn about the enemy that they're fighting against, learn the strategies, and then learn how to defeat that enemy. And that's how God has called us to ready ourselves. We have to prepare ourselves to know the enemy that we're going up against and also to strategize on how to defeat that enemy. And we know we know who we're fighting against, right, church? Amen. So we're going to take a look again at courage and faith, ready, set, go. For number one, to ready ourselves in knowing the heart of our Father, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, producing God confidence in who he says we are. Two, to set, to know who our true enemy is and isn't. And three, to go with knowing how to fight and win the loss to Jesus. Did you know that there are over 950 names of who God says he is in the Bible? And do you know if God says who he says he is, then that means he's going to tell us who we are. We're going to take a look at just 10 of those. But before we do that, I want you to repeat with me, ready, ready, all right. So this is who he says he is and who he says we are. So get yourselves ready because this is so good. God is Abba Father. So we are heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, Romans 8, 17. God is our advocate. So we are blameless and free from accusation, Colossians 1, God is our consuming fire. So we are the light of the world, Matthew 5, 14. God is our champion in battle. So we are overcomers by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimonies, Revelations 12, 11. God is the deliverer. So we are rescued from the domain of darkness and transferred to the kingdom of his beloved son, Colossians 1, 13. God is king of all kings, so we have the right to come boldly before his throne to find grace and mercy to help in time of need, Hebrews 4, 16. God is the giver of life, so we are alive together with Christ, Ephesians 2, 5. God is mender of the broken heart, so we are complete in Jesus, Colossians 2, 10. 
God is the God who sees, so we are not forgotten, for we have been chosen and predestined by the Father God. 1 Peter 1.12. And God is gracious and merciful, so we are reconciled to God, and we are ministers of reconciliation. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18 through 19. Can I get an amen in the house today? Y'all, I'm telling you, that's only 10 And my hope is after hearing those, and I know I went through those real quick, but if you want to know more, come talk to me after service. I can share them all with you, right? Because the whole point is to build ourselves up in God confidence. Again, that's readying ourselves. It's almost as if you were an athlete, or I was an athlete who said, one day, I want to be the best swimmer in the world. I'm going to sign up and I'm joining the American team and I'm going to go and I'm going to win it all. And then somebody said, well, have you trained? Well, no, but I just know I'm the best swimmer and I'm going to go in. Okay, well, are you going to like plan on going swimming and getting in the water? No, 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 no. I'm going to get in exactly when the gun goes off and I'm going to be ready to go. Well, number one, I'm not going to make the team. Number two, I'm probably going to drown, right? We need to be ready. We need to be ready. We have got to know who God says we are. And that means studying the word, knowing the word. In order for us to know who we are, we have to know who he is first because he's the one who created us, right? Before we were even formed in our mother's womb, he said he knew us. And so that's what we have to do. 1 Peter 3.15 says, We are to be ready in season and out of season to give a reason for the hope and the joy that is within us. That is being ready. Say ready with me. Ready. All right. So we need to learn about who our enemy is and who our enemy is not in order to know how to fight. Say this with me. Set. Set. Webster gives a definition of set. It says to put something in a specific place or position. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12, the amplified version says this. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood contending only with physical opponents, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this present darkness, and against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly and supernatural places. I want to stay there for a moment because I want to be really transparent and vulnerable with you all, because I, too, am guilty of gossip. I, too, am guilty of aiming my frustrations at others, and I, too, am guilty of hurting others. But what is God's heart for us? What does he want us to understand? He wants us to understand that we can't fight against each other. We have to look at one another and see each other how God sees us with love and know that our struggle is not against one another, but it's against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms that manifest itself in the actions that people take. And that's what we have to pray against. That's what we have to war against, not that individual person. We have to understand God has called us. He says, love one another. Let us love one another. Because the world is looking at us, church. And if we're so busy, involved in a civil war amongst ourselves, trying to prove what doctrine is correct or trying to prove what political party is correct, we've completely lost the focus of who we're supposed to be as sons and daughters of God. Because if we truly believe that the government rests upon his shoulders, 
then why are we arguing about what's happening in the world today? Our heart should be praying for those that God has put in positions of leadership. Whether or not we agree with them, we have to pray for them because there's nothing that we can do about talking about it. Talking about it doesn't do anything. Praying changes everything. Prayer changes everything. So what we actually do when we are, when we're, instead of taking things to prayer and talking about it, it's more like a ready, set, stop. Not a ready, set, go. We have to be ready, set, go followers of Jesus. Amen? We are one family. We are the sons and daughters of God. We are called to unity. We are called to be in this world, but not of it, according to Romans 12, 2, which tells us, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, knowing who God says he is, is renewing our mind, which then speaks to us who he says we are, then we go with that. So we can prove what is the perfect and acceptable will of the Lord. And what is that? That all would come to know him. We don't want to lose sight of the Great Commission. Because no human answer has, no humanity has the answer. We cannot find what we need for in any kind of human establishment. Because humans at our finest, we don't have the answer. The answer is Jesus. The answer will always be and only be Jesus. He came and he sacrificed himself on the cross over 2,000 years ago so that all the things that we deal with in this world today, we will be able to speak victory over because if he already overcame, he said that we are more than overcomers in him, in Christ Jesus. And we all need each other as part of the body of Christ. I want you to look at the person next to you and say, I need you. And I want you to turn around and look at somebody else and tell them, I need you. It's true. It's so true, y'all. I'm not saying that we're always going to get along. We are not always going to get along. But if we keep the foundation in its place where it should be is knowing our hope in Jesus, that means even those difficult times we get through, we get through together. We don't stop in them. We get through together. And for all the prayer requests that we have, Jesus had only one in John chapter 17. He's, I pray that they would be one. They would be one. It doesn't just mean only Chapel Hill be one. It doesn't just mean only Serena and her family be one. They meaning all of us, his sons and daughters, that we would be one. Because if we're going to help bring the salvation of Jesus to this world, we have got to be united in order for us to carry the message of hope and love and the cross and the life, death, and resurrection of our King Jesus, we have got to be united. Ephesians 6 goes on to name the weapons of warfare, the helmet of salvation, breastplate of righteousness, shield of faith, belt buckle of truth, the sword of the spirit, having our feet ready to bring the gospel. But you notice something that it doesn't name? It doesn't give a backplate, does it? You've ever wondered why? It's because we're all supposed to have each other's backs. We are supposed to go into battle knowing that we are fighting together for the gospel. That is why. That's how God made us. He didn't make us to do life alone. He made us to do life together. So who is our enemy? 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 says this. Be sober well-balanced and self-disciplined. Be alert and cautious at all times. The enemy of yours, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, fiercely hungry and seeking someone to devour. The enemy is clever. 
The enemy is so clever. He uses the same tricks, but he has the same two purposes. He wants us to fight amongst ourselves as the church because then we're not paying attention to people that need to know who he is. And then he wants to keep us comfortable in our Christian bubbles once we get in. Research has shown that once somebody has become a follower of Jesus, within two years, they no longer have any unbelieving friends. Church, we have got to change that. We have got to go to people just like Jesus did. Jesus went to hang out with the prostitutes and the tax collectors. He said, I have come here not for those that are healthy, but I have come for the sick, the ones that need a doctor. And if the same spirit that resurrected Jesus is alive inside of each and every single one of us, guess what, church? That means we're called to do the same. And God's given us everything we need to do it because it's not by our might, not by our power, by the spirit of the living God inside of us that we've been thoroughly equipped for every good work that God even prepared before we were even walking on this earth for us to do. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4 says, The God of this age has blinded the mind of unbelievers. So we should not be surprised or angry when we come into contact with somebody who doesn't know Jesus and they're completely acting contradictory to what we do and what we believe as followers of Jesus. We shouldn't be surprised because they're being influenced by everything around them and they're trying to find a hope and satisfaction in the temporary things of this world. And we know as followers of Jesus, that is not something that we can find hope in or satisfaction because the things of this earth will pass away. They will pass away, but God's word will never pass away. This world in Hollywood has made the spiritual realm so glamorous and so cool. Horror movies, psychological thrillers, reality TV, blinding us from what's really going on behind the scenes. And for the world, the devil and his demons are using the same tactics they've used since the beginning. But even more avenues now that we have so much technology and so many things available right in the palm of our hand. And blinding doesn't happen overnight, but it happens over time. Spiritual blindness can be actually more dangerous than physical blindness as it blocks our spirits from seeing what's really going on around us making us numb and unaware of our own lives and the lives of people around us that are lost, broken, hurting, and looking for the answer. So that means we as the church, we as the sons and daughters of God, also need to be very careful about what we're allowing into our spirits. Because what we allow into our spirits produces who we are in our everyday life. What we put into our spirits comes out of our everyday lives. So we have to ask God, Lord, would you open my spiritual eyes? Would you break my heart to see those who are not your followers, not with apathy, but with empathy, not with anger, but with love, not with a heart of indifference, but a heart of compassion. 1 Corinthians 9.22 says this, when I am with those whose consciences bother them, I don't act as though I know everything, and I don't say that they are foolish. The result is that they are willing to let me help them. Yes, whatever a person is like, I try and find common ground with him so that he will let me tell him about Christ and let Christ save him. Our job is just to tell. What happens after that is between them and God. 
So we have to be sensitive to that. We have to allow God to guide us and lead us to those people. He highlights those people to us, and they're able to receive his beautiful love in a way nobody else can share. Each of us in this room are called. Nobody's special. We're all special in his eyes, in his eyes. So those who don't know Jesus, they're not our enemies. They're not our enemies. They are the ones that God has called us to, the ones that we have to fight for, not against. Our hearts must be driven by love to help the lost, to know the truth of who Jesus is. If we want to be world-changing disciples who make disciples, we must be in a constant state of self-examination, just like David's cry to the Lord in Psalm 51. And he said, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, O Lord. Take not the Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation and renew a right spirit within me. That should be our heart's prayer every day, church. Not too many times, though, do we read the scripture that follows that verse 13. It says this. If you do, God, if you do create in me a clean heart, if you don't take your Holy Spirit from me, if you restore unto me the joy of my salvation, God, then if you do that, I promise to teach rebels your ways and help sinners find their way back to you. Our hearts must be hearts of humility, knowing that we are sinners saved by grace, my brothers and sisters. If we are to take the hope of Christ to our workplaces, to our schools, to our neighborhoods, to our communities. We're all called. God didn't send Jesus into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him, and God is sending us to do the same. We cannot be afraid to carry out the assignments that he has given us because, again, Joshua chapter 1, verse 9 says, This is my command. Be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. Because I am the Lord your God and I will be with you wherever you go. Say this with me. Set. Set. We're going to look at go. We're going to look at the scripture again from go. Matthew chapter 28 verse 19. Go therefore, make disciples of all nations. Help people to learn of me, believe in me, and obey my commands, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Say it with me, go. Go. Webster's Definition Dictionary of the word go means to move from one place to another, a person's turn to use or do something. I want to repeat the statement I made earlier. Faith is not just hearing something, but faith is is the obedience to act on that something as though you know it's true. Evangelist and pastor Mark Driscoll made this statement. Faith is not just what we believe internally, it's how we behave externally. I want to share this story with you guys. A while ago, there was a businessman, and he was around 
during the time of the Great Depression, probably a little bit before that, and everything just started to crumble. His business started to crumble around him. The creditors were coming, and he was concerned, and he just couldn't figure out what to do. So he went to a park. He sat on a bench, and as he was sitting there just pulling his hair out, trying to say, what do I do? All of a sudden, out of nowhere, this man approached him, and this man said to him, son, I can see that you're looking pretty distraught. What's going on? He went to go on and tell the man what happened. The man said, well, I think I might be able to help with that. The man pulled out his checkbook, wrote him a check, handed him a piece of paper, and said, a year from now, you are going to meet me at this same exact spot, and you're going to give me my money back. And the guy was like, okay. Just as soon as the guy said that, he disappeared. So the man sat there, hadn't looked at the check or anything. Then he looks at the check, and unbeknownst to him, he had a check in his hand for $50,000 written from no one other than Mr. John D. Rockefeller himself. The man took that, rejoiced, ran off saying, oh my goodness, I think this is exactly what I need. But you know what? Instead of him taking that check to the bank and cashing it, all of a sudden something ignited inside his heart and his spirit new passions, newfound ingenuity and ideas on how to pull that company out of the hole. So he got his team together. He casted the vision and he shared the vision with them. And then they all joined on board. And in a few months, everything started to turn around. They started to come out of the red and began to move into the black. He didn't no longer had to think about letting go of his employees who had families that they were supporting. And then six months from then, the, the profits started to turn over. A year from then, they were completely out of debt. And he remembered, okay, today's the day. I'm going to go back to the park, and I'm going to meet John D. Rockefeller, and I'm going to give him the check, and I'm going to tell him I didn't even have to use any of the money that you gave me. Everything inside of me came back alive just because you had opened me, just because you inspired me. So he went back to that park and as he was approaching the same bench they had met on, here comes John D. Rockefeller. And then before he even has a word to say, all of a sudden this woman that looked like a nurse dressed up comes running up, comes running up and says, what are you doing out here? Oh my goodness, I found you again. She looks at the guy, she grabs a check, she goes, I am so sorry. This man somehow found this checkbook and he's been writing checks to people telling him he's John D. Rockefeller. I'm so sorry. So she grabs the man by the arm, takes him off, or, you know, takes him away, and this guy's going, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. The beautiful thing about that story is that because somebody that didn't even know him came to him and gave him hope, he came alive with those giftings, those ideas that were already inside of him, but had become dormant because of the disappointment of the business. And he was able to pull everything out of the depths that he was in, the despair he was in. And not only did it affect his life, but his employees, their families, the impact went across the board. And that was from somebody who didn't even know him. Church, we serve a God who knows us. We serve a God who sees us, who said, I will never leave you and never forsake you. So that means every time we have these beautiful dreams and goals and visions inside of us, to see those come to pass, 
That means they will. And it's not only going to affect and bless our lives, but it's going to be a beautiful effect, a ripple effect of the lives of those around us that God has called us to be a witness to. We get to see him move when we say yes. So, 1 Timothy, Paul talks about spiritual training is of some value in everything, is of value in everything and in every way because it holds the promise of for the present life and for the life to come with eternity in Jesus. And that is the hope that we get to share with the world because it's amazing, again, how we serve a God who knows us, who believes in us, who said when we seek him and his kingdom that everything else will be added onto us, everything, not some things, not a little bit of things, not 99% of things, everything, everything. So faith is not just hearing something, but faith is the obedience to act on that something as though you know it's true. Faith and action go hand in hand. Amen? So say it with me. Go. All right. So then there's a couple major questions that probably arise, you know, as we're thinking about this. So some might say, Serena, what if I get myself ready, set myself in the knowledge of who my true enemy is, and know who my true enemy is and go on to share my life and gospel with people I feel God has called me to. Is it my job to make sure that they accept Jesus? Or the other question would be, well, Serena, I've shared with someone who Jesus is and they don't accept him right away, but want to be around me and discuss things with me. So what do I do? Well, here's what God says about those questions. He says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, chapter 3, sorry, verses 6 through 8, and that is in the voice version. It says, The one who plants is no greater than the one who waters. Both will be rewarded based on their work. Both will be rewarded based on their work. So it's not our job as followers of Jesus to make sure when we introduce Jesus to someone that they accept him right away and they come to know him right away. That work that we do is exactly what it is, obedience. Because some of us may plant the seed, some of us may water the seed, but it is God who gets the increase. God is the one who always gets the increase. And it says this, so the one who waters and plant have nothing to brag about. We have nothing to brag about. God who causes the growth is the only one who matters. The one who plants is no greater than the one who waters, but both will be rewarded based on their work. A testimonial story I want to share with you. This picture here is a picture of a woman in the middle. Her name is Betsy. Uh, in 2020, down at the George Floyd Square where everything happened, my team and I were down there, and we had the opportunity to go and be the hands and feet of Jesus, and I happened to meet Betsy, and my friend Aaron is on the other side. That day, simply because we asked her questions, how are you doing today? You know, what brought you down here to this place? She was able to open up and share that actually she had come down to buy a shirt for her friend because there were vendors down there sh sh selling George Floyd shirts. And then she was going to go home and take her own life. But God had us intervene that. God had us pray for her. And she rededicated her life back to Jesus that day. And not only that, but then I was able to walk in a discipleship relationship with her. I'm still in contact with her. She got plugged into a church body, a church family. And now she's sharing that testimony with people, saying, you may feel like there is no other answer, but I know 
that God saved me so I can tell you that there is and there's hope in Jesus. And that's beautiful simply from us saying yes. You know, because just like a wedding ceremony, when we go, we're there to support the bride and groom, right? We're not there to make sure they say I do. Okay, are you going to make sure you say I do? Okay, make sure you say it. Right? We cannot make sure that they say, I do. We're there to support that decision. We're there to support them after they make that decision. That's exactly how it is when we're walking along someone that's coming to know Jesus, and it takes patience. Just because they come to know him when we introduce them doesn't mean that they're going to accept him right then and there. But we have to have the patience to walk with them. Because Jesus said we are to go and help, Right? Not go and make them believe, but go and help. Go help them learn, help them believe, and help them obey. And then the second question that it said, well, somebody accepts Jesus, but, you know, they're they're not actually accepting him right away, but they want to discuss certain things with me. What do I do? Well, in it, it tells us what we do in James chapter 19. Sorry, James chapter 1, verses 9 through 19 and 25. And I am actually going to read this. Let's see if it comes up on the screen. Some, some of it's missing, so I'll go ahead and just read it here. But James chapter 1, verses 19 and 25. Understand this, my beloved. Let everyone be careful, thoughtful listener, a speaker of carefully chosen words, patient, reflective, and forgiving. He who looks carefully into the perfect law will be blessed and favored by God in his life of obedience. Visit and look after the fatherless and the widows and their distress. And I love that last part because if we think of the fatherless and the widows, we can think of it in this aspect of believers. The fatherless being those who don't know Jesus because he is our father, right? And the widows being, again, those who don't know Jesus because we are called to be the bride of Christ. And a widow is someone without their husband or their wife, right? And so we want to be the bride of Christ to people. We want to help them come to know Jesus. So there's a big difference between someone who's looking for the truth versus someone who's wanting to argue because we've probably all encountered people that just want to debate and argue. We don't have to argue. There's nothing to argue about. We're just there to love people. Because I actually had an individual like that where she said, okay, yeah, I'd love to. I'd love to discuss with you. But every time we got together, she just wanted to argue. And I would give her some opportunities and things and say, hey, let's try this. But every time we come back together, it would be the same thing again. So my encouragement is allow the Holy Spirit to lead and guide all those conversations because we don't have to prove anything. We're just there to love people to Jesus. So Acts chapter 1, verse 8, ready. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you will receive power to testify about me with great effect to the people. In Jerusalem, ask today, ask the Father today, Lord, where's my Jerusalem? I can't answer that question for you, but he can In Judea and Samaria, ask him. And ask him, what are your ends of the earth? Ask him that, because he'll show you. That's ready. Everybody say ready with me. Set. This is my command. Be strong and courageous. Never be afraid or discouraged, because I'm the Lord your God, the eternal one. And I will be remaining with you and with you wherever you go. Everybody say set. Set. And go. Go therefore. Make disciples of all nations. Help the people to learn of me, believe in me, and obey my words, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Worship team, can you guys come on up? I invite you now to close your eyes and receive this challenge to rise up with courage 
and a promise of what God says he will do when we step out in faith and obedience to help others. 1 Corinthians 9, chapter 24 through 25. We all know that when there's a race, all runners bolt for the finish line, but only one will take the prize. When you run, run for the prize. Athletes in training are very strict with themselves, exercising self-control over desires, and for what? For a wreath that soon withers and is crushed or simply forgotten, this is not our race. We run for the crown that we wear for eternity. Matthew chapter 28, verse 20. Teach them to observe everything that I have commanded you. I will be with you always, remaining with you, regardless of circumstance and on every occasion, even to the end of the age. And finally, this promise here. Romans chapter 10, verse 15. Oh, how beautiful the feet of those who declare the good news of victory, of peace, and of liberation. Let's pray. God, I thank you. Lord, I thank you for this time that we could have in your presence today. You are so worthy of glory and honor. God, you have called all of us to rise up with courage and faith. These are blessings and gifts that you have allowed us so graciously to have in our lives. Lord, because we know the only way, the only way that your promises will not happen in our lives is if we quit. So God, I thank you that your word says that we should not grow weary while doing good. For in due season, we will reap the reward if we do not faint. God, we thank you. Lord, that your word and your promises are yes and amen in every single one of our lives. So help us to be ready. Help us to set ourselves in the truth of who you are so that when you call us to go, we can go with boldness. We can go with that faith, that reassurance that you are for us. So who can be against us? We thank you, Jesus, for every family in this house today. We thank you for every sphere of influence of every individual in this room today, in their jobs, their workplaces, their neighborhoods, their communities, the schools, God. May we go out and be that light that shines so bright in a dark world of your hope. Thank you for this day. You are so worthy of glory and honor. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 You guys